Hi friends, welcome to a fresh, brand new episode of the Ian Khan Show. I'm so excited today to speaking with a fellow futurist and fellow contributor to Aftershock. I'm speaking with Anders Sarman Nelson. He's a futurist based out of Australia, and he's got a lot to tell about the future of things. Please welcome Anders Sarman Nelson. Welcome to the show, Anders. It's such a pleasure to have you on board and all the way down south in Australia. I'm all the way up in Canada. It is amazing that we are able to connect. Welcome to the Ian Khan Show, the Aftershock episodes. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I'm uh, broadcasting from the future today, Ian. So it's already Monday here and it's Sunday your end. So um, I hope, it, I hope it turns out well wherever you are. I hope the future is better for us. But <laughs> Anders, we're, you know, you're a futurist. You're, um, you do many different things as a futurist and, and you know, being able to go out on the road and talk about things and contributing to things such as Aftershock, which our friend John Schroeder has put together with um, 50 plus global futurists who have contributed to the book. It's just so amazing to be part of this uh, process along with you. I feel very humbled. Tell me what, what kind of experience has it been for you to write your piece in there? And I'm going to ask you a few questions about that as well. Well, I think it got me, um, got me really thinking about um, the importance of, of mega trends. And in fact, when I sat down to, to write my reflections on Alvin Toffler's work um, in the last 50 years and also sort of future gazing to the next 50 years, I was in Punta Mita in Mexico and um, I, had the, I had the privilege to, to be at the same conference uh, speaking between Carlos Schlim, uh, one of the greatest entrepreneurs um, of, uh, of his generation, and Condoleezza Rice, who was talking about cybersecurity and the security uh, forecasts as she saw them. Uh, amazing people at this at this conference, and I, and you know this as well, right? We get to go to conferences and we get to do you know our prognostications and forecasts and foresights for the future. Uh, but it was just amazing being there and learning. And, and one of the things that Carlos Schlim spoke about, and I mentioned this in the book, uh, is the fact that many of his investment decisions were based on Alvin Toffler's works. And this is not 50 years ago. This is in the present day, looking at which you know, mega trends were still impacting society and, and humanity, and that many of his wisest investment decisions came down to some of those, those principles in, in the book. And that also it's, it's led him to invest in, you know, his own agility, uh, his own changes, making difficult decisions, but always trying to be on trend. Um, and that was really heartening because at the same time I sat down and, and, and wrote my little piece, which is of course, you know, from a, from a sort of family business perspective on a much smaller scale, I tried to really center in or hone in on, my mum, who uh, runs a little menswear store in, in Stockholm, Sweden, the, the family business is now 104 years of age. And, and um, my mum for many years has been my toughest pro bono client. You know, for her, um, she doesn't like change, which I think is quite human. She doesn't like future shock. And in her instance, as Alvin said, you know, the future arrived too soon. Uh, she believes in the analog face-to-face physical meeting and um, in many ways my reflections of what's happening with, with, with COVID in the world 
uh, and its exponentiality is that in many ways, digital disruption, which I spoke, speak of as, as a type of future shock, really as a signal from the future that it's time to change, in many ways for her was a dress rehearsal for her business model's digitization, which she engaged in to some degree as a menswear retailer. But really COVID-19 has become the burning platform for all of us to virtualize our businesses because, you know, there's creativity within quarantine. We have to do something different to survive through these tough times. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I completely understand, um, you know, what you're saying, because I, I've got people that I know who are of your mom's age and who are entrepreneurs or who are professionals and how they are able to deal with change or how they're not able to deal with change. And this uh, being a futurist, I think it's, 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 it's kind of, it gets boring once in a while when you constantly keep on telling people about how important change is. And I feel that as, um, as a professional as well, but it is what it is. Change is a constant. It'll always keep on happening. And how fast do we adapt to it um, is the big question. COVID-19 being one of those events that has been thrust upon us. Um, and you were saying a black swan event, but it's, and it's something that nobody was expecting to take place to such a huge extent. And so my question to you is, what do you anticipate us to get out of it? What is your, what would you like to get out of COVID-19? Of course, it's going to get, you know, let's be on the positive side. The world will, um, uh, we'll adapt to it, will change and will come out of it uh, eventually. What are your personal takeaways from it, if you will? So we've actually done a lot of scenario planning around this, um, given its black swan nature. Um, and as any good futurist, you know, we, we use it as an opportunity because people are increasingly looking to our ilk to provide them some, some sage advice for the future. And even though we know that we're not in the prediction game, we also know that we are in the preparation game. And so we, we ran a, a webinar on um, earlier in March and which was exactly on the, the major uncertainties this provides, right? So um, if you can imagine a Y and X axis, we imagine, you know, the duration of the from freeze to thaw um, from sort of a short duration where the economic freeze would be about three months or thereabouts and one that was sort of six months and beyond. Um, and then on the y-axis, we, we spoke about in terms of rebuilding trust in an era where consumer and investor confidence uh, at our, are at record lows, how do we rebuild that trust? Will it be increasingly through communications in the analog world or in the digital world? Yeah. So we built these four different future worlds, right? Now, without going into too much detail, right? This webinar, by the way, is available on demand if you want to tune into it more. My sense, however, is that for some people who've said, hey, you know, in three months, we'll be fine and we'll be business as usual, uh, they are fooling themselves because the world is fundamentally shifting on its axis. You'll see consumer behavior and even massive values shift occurring around the world. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, the, the freeze will definitely last for about six months and then um, business as usual as in pre-COVID style of business with international travel and, and conferences and, you know, 
tourism to the same degree. You know, no one's going to go on a cruise ship, right? For example, for a very, very long time. So I would say that we're probably more looking at six to 18 to even 24 months before things um, truly start getting back on track. And I think, you know, people are talking about the vaccine. That could also be a non-event. We may need to accept that this could be a part of, um, you know, the the regular flu season, a five, fifth type of corona strain that will just be a normal, unfortunately, part of life. Um, and that's a that's a sad state of affairs. But yeah, I'm erring on the side of caution with with regards to to this, thinking we could open up uh, for business again by you know by Easter, as some pundits have said, or some presidents have said, I think was just crazy when you're looking at the exponentiality of this threat. Yeah. And uh, I completely agree with you. I think it's very unrealistic to think that everything will be okay. Even three months after um, all the cases of COVID have, uh, have been, you know, treated and they've gone away. So let's imagine COVID, it has ended tomorrow morning for some reason, it doesn't exist in the world. I, I think three months will be us still finding our legs and then you'll start slowly seeing recovery of markets. I think we're at least, again, looking at six to 18 to 24 months, same thing. Um, The question becomes, how do we become stronger uh, because of COVID? Now, I know uh, there's so many different things we can talk about, but I want to focus a little bit on on what you've written in, in the book. You've talked a little bit about Uh, and you mentioned a couple of those things, but you've talked about, let me read from here. While the left brain of logic process, math and data crunching will be right thinkings for AI, the right brain of emotion, creation, synthesis and invention will take longer to pick off. What happens to creativity? What happens to innovation after doing this phase and after we come out of it? Should we look at technology as an accelerator that, hey, we were unable to do anything when COVID-19 happened. Let's accelerate. Let's invest like crazy into technology or let's explore human creativity and intuition. What should we do uh, in, in your opinion or where should it go? I think it's a, it's a combination of those two things. I mean, I've, I've been a critic for many years as you'd pick up on in my, in my uh, chapter of this obsession with STEM skills, right? Sciences, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, in many ways that sort of obsession on on the left side of the brain of logic and sequence maths process uh, this is what artificial intelligence is already excelling at and i think it's very very dangerous to suggest to our kids and the next generation of leaders that all their focus should only be on 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 stem skills because the reality is that ai is going to trump us at those in the future so in that way we're educating people for jobs that may not exist and I think that's where the sort of long forgotten, I mean, for you and me, this probably makes sense, right? But the long forgotten, more humanistic skills of innovation, storytelling, creativity, hacking systems, right? As a white cap hacker, yeah. these things are becoming much more important. Interpersonal communications, storytelling, even telling a science fiction story about how the world post-COVID will be a better place. I mean, these are fundamental human skills that maybe leaders haven't invested as much in. So I do think that they will have a premium upon them and it will take longer to digitize or commoditize those types of skills. So I do believe, given that also necessity is the mother of invention and innovation, we'll see a period right now where things are really, really tough, where it's up to human creativity, hopefully with some, you know, high powered AI on its side, 
to solve not just the COVID crisis, but to change our business models, to ensure that they become more resilient, to think about new revenue streams and delivering value uh, in a variety of different ways. Uh, in some ways, you know, we're living through this future of work social experiment right now that, you know, I know even some of my Fortune 500 clients, you know, they've had to very, very quickly get adept at this type of interface to interface meeting, for example, where, you know, yes, they used to invest in the technology, but they still prefer to fly people halfway across the world to have meetings face to face because the human touch really mattered. Yep. Now the human touch has to be virtualized, right? Because nobody wants the human touch anymore. You know, we're not shaking hands, for example. So we have to communicate our humanity in different ways, at least here in the short term. We'll see what, you know, the cultural norms and behaviors might be post COVID. Yeah. Um, but certainly creativity, innovation, being able to, to hack processes is going to be a price skill moving into the future. Mm -hmm. uh, we are also seeing a lot of um, AI being developed, let's say in, in China or in some other parts of the world. Uh, and there's a huge unevenness of how technology is coming out of the labs and going into corporations and going into governments and how it's being used. Um, uh, Dubai, as an example, has a Minister of Artificial Intelligence. They're working on it to enable government services, a bunch of other uh, really nice to see things. Uh, many places otherwise have surveillance states with AI. Uh, but in the in, in, uh, US, in Canada, in the, in the majority of Australia, in the majority of the developed world, there doesn't seem to be a lot of AI because of what do you think the problem is? Is it because there's far too much red tape? There's far too much um, control on, on, on this technology being implemented? Or are the corporations just uh, using it, the, the large corporations? Well, I think I think there's a couple of things to this. I mean, there you know, there's a stated uh, objective by the by the Chinese government to become you know world leaders in AI by by 2025. And you know, when when it comes to machine learning, of course, they not only have the you know the government inputs in terms of data gathering, uh, in terms of facial recognition, etc. Yeah. But some of the major corporations are also feeding consumption habits uh, into the AI engines in in, in China, and of course. You know, AI is very data hungry. And mm -hmm. so they do have an advantage there in terms of the surveillance state, their um, social credit scores yes. and the way it monitors its citizens. Now, it's kind of scary that that's an AI advantage, but, you know, everything we do on these devices, you know, is a, is a, is a social and even, a, a you know, an act of, you know, credit communications, right? Even, you know, your social data is now becoming credit data to some degree. Yes. Um, not just in China, by the way. So that's my first reflection. You know, AI is data hungry. And so we are, in fact, a little bit on the back foot uh, in, the, uh, in the Western world when it comes to data gathering. The second piece is, and we've, we've just finalized uh, a paper on this together with Microsoft uh, on artificial intelligence in, in retail specifically. Well, we're looking at how AI can be used by retailers, um, both from a supply chain optimization perspective, but also from a know your customer perspective. Now, that particular uh, white paper, even though it's global, focused on the green shoots of innovation in uh, Australia in terms of how retailers are using AI to make better decisions about their supply chain and, and, and know your customer. And 
it's evident that even though Australia is playing catch up, for example, with, with, with China and what, you know, Chinese retailers like Alibaba are doing, yeah. uh, that there is a lot of innovation um, in, in AI from a supply chain perspective. For example, one of Australia's largest grocers, Coles, uh, are using AI for better replenishment decisions, et cetera, and they're using AI and, and, and even, you know, image recognition for things like restocking, yeah. right? And much better than walking around with, you know, pen and paper and looking at every shelf of what oh, yeah, needs yeah. replenishing. Yeah. They're using third-party uh, data sources and, and seasonality, you know, weather patterns, et cetera, to plug into that to make smarter decisions mm-hmm. about, you know, restocking, et cetera. So these are green shoots of innovation and we'll, we'll see we'll see more of them. Um, but of course, and uh, this is also Condoleezza Rice's comments about uh, China's statement that they want to be world leaders in AI by 2025. And she said, you know, by saying that, <laughs> then uh, you've really encouraged and motivated the, you know, the, the Americans to make sure that that doesn't become the case. So, yeah. you know, there's still a lot of good AI know-how in Silicon Valley and Silicon Prairie, et cetera, around the United States and North America. There's, there's definitely um, newer pockets of um, innovation and research and AI that are, that are really coming up. I see activity happening in, um, in, in the Netherlands where the government is working with quantum computing, AI, they're, they're developing things. A lot of AI talent uh, is in the UK. Of course, United States, uh, Canada, we've got, I think two of um, the Turin Award winners here who reside here and work, one of them in University of Toronto, one in Montreal. So the AI talent is really spread across the world. What I think is important is who is backing the efforts of AI. A majority of this is funded uh, by large companies, including Google, Microsoft, IBM, and they've, they've, they're putting all, a lot of investment into finding the next big breakthrough. Watson, as an example, um, countries such as uh, the UAE, as I mentioned, and including now Saudi Arabia, that's, uh, that wants to, I was there a few months ago and met with the head of the AI body that they've created, this new department that they've created, new authority they've created, and they really want to ramp up AI and, and change um, Saudi Arabia from an oil kingdom to a data-driven kingdom. Uh, lots of plans, but now we have COVID-19. But I'm really interested to see where things go in the next, uh, I would say, two to five years, two to, two to three, three to five years, uh, because I think we'll definitely have somebody taking the lead, doing something big, um, and and taking potentially market share. Uh, what other technology is a favorite of yours? What 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 else do you think would be significant for us to watch out for? Well, I think there's there's a there's a number of of developments. I think you know there's creativity within quarantine and and. Um, I think one one of the mega trends that I that I like to to focus on, and it's it's sort of a little bit of been on the back burner here for the last few months, but uh, you know Kevin Kelly coined, coined the term around uh, the mirror world, right? And I think that the mirror world um, in our lives is a really significant moment. Uh, you know, he describes it as the the world that 
you know Frodo enters when he puts on the ring in, in Lord of Lord of the Rings. It's it's an alternative. It's a you know an adjacent world to ours. And I think if we want to concretize it here specifically, what that world is for us is you know the opportunity to build say digital twins, and that for everything in physical life, for any any physical asset, um, be it you know our bodies, be it you know our factories. Yep. Um, be it our products that are being shipped around the world, there'll be a digital twin and there'll be a, a virtual representation of it so that we can solve through predictive maintenance, you know, uh, breakdowns on the production line or, you know, even, uh, you know, send out an automated update to, to a Tesla as, you know, before the battery starts running out when you're fleeing with your family down the highway yeah. during Hurricane Irma. You know, we'll see more of those types of examples where where the combination of the mirror world together with the internet of things will you know help solve um real physical problems um through you know our existence and our insight and our foresight through the digital interface so that's a technology that i personally get really really excited about i thought of course we're already tapping into that through virtual reality augmented reality etc mixed realities Absolutely. Uh, some of the other ones that I personally uh, am watching, uh, of course, are blockchain. It's a lot happening it, and, and everything happens in, in curves. It's, it's an up, it's a down, it's an up, a down. A few years ago, it was all about big data. It was all the buzz, but big data is still important, but not a lot of people are talking about it. So it would be a big data, blockchain, digital twins, uh, the internet of things. Uh, all these are super fascinating because they connect so many things from autonomous cars to uh, nuclear power plants to your airlines, everything is becoming very interconnected, which is also uh, a big challenge given that if one system breaks down, it, there's a possibility of the entire grid knocking down. So I think uh, we've still got so much work to do uh, on all of this. I know we're short on time, Anders. I wanted to ask you, one of the things that you've written in the book, in your article in um, Aftershock, is that uh, Carlos, and you mentioned Carlos earlier, um, Although he was, he's one of the, you know, he's very successful, but he's still manual. You wrote that, right? He's still noting down things on a notepad. Yeah, still a very analog heart. Maybe he has a digital mind, but, yeah. you know, there's still plenty of processes and, and analog note-taking and analog spreadsheets that he's, uh, he's managing, etc. So um, always, an in, always an interesting one. I, I, I see, uh, I read a lot and I see a lot of people advocating writing your notes with your hand and Richard Branson will say that, you know, I'll keep a diary and I'll write my notes and Brendan Bouchard and whoever it is out there influencing people and telling them what to do. Um, they've always advocated the fact that have a notebook and write with your hand and, you know, it does something. It's very interesting. I, I am both digital as well as analog, so I don't know uh, what's true and what's not. Well, I mean, I, I, I wrote a book uh, called Digilog, How to Win the Digital Minds and the Analog Hearts of, of Tomorrow's Customers um, back in 2013. And, and other management consultants have, you know, since then coined their own versions of, you know, digital and digical, et cetera. Um, but I think we were actually first to, first to this game. So I think the, the new term, particularly given mirror worlds and IOT and the fusion now of digital and physical is, uh, is around the digilog. Yeah. 
Yeah, lot of, but lot I think of, that's lot, what's really happening, you know. A lot happening. No, absolutely. Uh, Anders, I wish I could hold you for longer than this. I know you have to go. You've just started a new day. Uh, I want you to tell us where can we find more about your research, your work. Uh, tell us a little bit about all the books that you've written and what they are about. Uh, and uh, tell us where to find you. Cool. Well, of course, the most important one right now is, is, is Aftershock, of course. It's been a great collaboration and great piece of crowd wisdom. Prior to that, um, I've written three books. So the, the most recent one is called Seamless, A Hero's Journey of Digital Disruption, Adaptation and Human Transformation. It is about my mum's, um, both her disruption as a menswear retailer and also some of the steps she has been taking towards um, Digital and, and Human Adaptation in That World, uh, published by Wiley. Digilog, How to Win the Digital Minds and the Analog Hearts of Tomorrow's Customers. And prior to that, Think Funky, Upgrade Your Thinking. Uh, those are published over uh, about a 10-year, 13-year oh, time span. So, and, I should, and I should just say that, uh, you know, particularly Digilog has been an interesting one because it, you know, gets heralded by large organizations, including Australia's oldest bank, Westpac and Mervac. And in Westpac uh, case, um, they credit it with them moving from number four in terms of retail banking customer satisfaction to number one. Unfortunately, the person I wrote the book for, uh, my mum, has not yet read the book. Uh, and I think this is kind of, <laughs> she's my toughest pro bono client. What can I say, right? Yeah. Um, but I think this is an, an interesting case and perhaps a, a note to sort of uh, mark off on as well is that uh, that sort of change resistance, that fact resistance is, is a really troublesome one when it comes to leaders and entrepreneurship. And as I alluded to before, if digital disruption was the dress rehearsal, COVID-19 was the burning platform for change. Mm -hmm. And in mum's case, you know, sadly, at 104 years of age, which this family business is, she's the third generation custodian. Um, they uh, just sold the business uh, during COVID. Yeah. Um, it was a choice of either going into voluntary administration because they just didn't change the way they should have. Um, mm. And uh, luckily, you know, the silver knight came in in the last moment and, and, and actually bought the business. Yeah. But it's no longer in the family. And I think while this is really saddening on, on a family and, and personal level, we're happy to see the brand live on. Yeah. Um, but despite the fact that it's easy to kind of point the finger towards COVID as a massive black swan event, I think the lesson here for leaders is, you know, we need to prepare for these things before they occur. And if you're well prepared um, before the change is 100% necessary, you know, if we save for a rainy day and we invest in innovation even before black swan events happen, we're in a much better place to make sure that we can withstand and be anti-fragile yep. in these moments in history. Absolutely. Well said. Where can we find more about you? Uh, so just Google my name, Anders Sorman-Nilsson. Uh, even if you misspell it, I'm sure Google's algorithms will, will uh, guide you in the right directions. My company's called Think, and we provide uh, research, foresight, and business impact for the likes of Microsoft, Facebook, Jaguar Land Rover, Zurich McKinsey's, and the like. Amazing. Andrew, it's such a pleasure and honor to be a co-contributor with you to Aftershock. Aftershock is available on Amazon. Uh, and if you can't find it, then let me know and I will send you guys a copy of Aftershock, uh, but uh, with, with some conditions. Having said that, Andrew, thank you so much. And we'll catch you another time. Take care and hopefully uh, see you on the other side of COVID-19. Absolutely. 
Ciao. See you in the future. Hey friend, this is Ian Khan. If you liked what you saw on my video, then please subscribe to my YouTube channel and be inspired every single day with innovative content that keeps you fresh, updated, and ready for the future. For more information, also visit my website at iankhan.com. 